So hear the word of God from Matthew chapter 6. You can follow along in your Bibles or it'll be up on the screen. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted, devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear? Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flower of the fields grow. They don't labor or spin, 
Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, they run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nathan, for reading that super long but vitally important passage. Good morning. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint Church. Our lead pastor. Oh, I'm not supposed to be. I normally give uh, a prayer time and announcements, so I forgot to do this. All right. So, good morning. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor, Pastor Lawrence, is actually out of town officiating a wedding for one of our members. Um, and so it's a joy and an honor to be the one who gets to preach to you and, and worship with you and proclaim this important message. We're in a sermon series going through some of our plumb lines that we hold to here at Waypoint. We typically teach through a book of the Bible, rotating between the New Testament and the Old Testament. We just finished going through Hebrews and Ephesians, and then in two weeks we're going to begin a three-month series on the Psalms. This morning, we're going to spend some time looking at prayer. And how do I give an overview sermon on prayer? Think about it. Prayer is talking to the creator of the universe like he is your close friend, and he even tells you that you can approach him like a father, like a child does his father. Wow. You probably saw the title, Prayer, Fasting, Money, and Worries, and thought, this is going to be interesting. Um, we're looking at words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago that are extremely relevant today. I work with um, international students. Um, that's my, my main responsibility at Duke University. And, and a lot of them will say, tell me about Jesus. And most of the time, I take them to this passage because I feel like it's the essence of how Jesus relates to us. I teach, I'll show them a lot of other things, but I've, I've spent, I've probably gone through this passage with hundreds of people. And every time I read it, it pierces my heart because I worry. Because I worry about money. I worry about things. I worry about life. And this morning, as we look at prayer, I want us to look, just, just get a little glimpse of this important teaching about Jesus. That, I mean, from Jesus that relates directly to us. So 2,000 years ago, God enters into humanity. The Creator enters the creation and teaches us how to pray. Let's listen. So growing up in the 80s and 90s, I watched a lot of sitcoms. Anybody? The sitcoms of today are a little different than the sitcoms of the 80s and 90s, but there's some similarities. But I, I grew up in a Christian home where prayer and attending church services were a major part of our weekly routine. And one thing I began to notice at a young age is that the families in the sitcoms 
rarely talked about the spiritual sides of their lives. Every once in a while, there's a reference to the reverend or the pastor followed by a joke. Normally the pastor was wearing that white collar and some kind of silly joke. And, um, and I, I did notice that in the late 90s into the 2000s, there were more references to church and Christians. Some of the references were positive, but many tended to paint a negative view of Christians and Christianity. But in the shows and even movies, over and over again, I saw one theme that ran through almost all of them. When a crisis hit or something bad happened or someone was in a bind, one of the characters would pray. Like I remember watching, you know, a couple of these sitcoms and it'd be, normally it was a child and the child would be sitting in their room going like this, God, I need help. Maybe the girl at school that they like rejected them or maybe their parents were fighting or something. And there was, there was always this scene that kept showing up over and over again of, of this person kind of crying out to God, even though the rest of the show never alluded to the fact that they went to church or, or even needed God in any other elements. But when crisis hit or something bad happened, they called on God. I, um, so that, that was a trend I noticed. But I also, I think this is just something common in our culture, and I think that's why it showed up in TV shows. I lived overseas. In the summer of 2007, I, I, I spent in Beijing, and uh, I was just kind of studying Chinese culture, and I went to almost every historical site, every temple. And I, I went to this Taoist temple in Beijing, and I'm going to put a picture up. And it was, Taoism is, is sort of a religion, sort of a philosophy. Um, it's, it's kind of a combo of the two. And they had all these rooms set up. And each room was a council of people that were talking about some issues going on in the world. And then those little red things on the front of the gate, you could buy, it kind of looks like a, a tassel, like a graduation tassel on your, on your uh, graduation cap. And you could buy those. And, I didn't get the exact interpretation, but it was something like kind of like a prayer or a blessing if you, if you put that tassel over the thing. And there were many rooms in this temple. There were rooms about and the council talking about peace in the world or, you know, agricultural, like our crops growing or our children thriving. This one was about longevity and a long life. But one thing I noticed is the ones that were more about the world or more broad had hardly any of those little tassels. But the ones that were about children doing well in school or longevity or making money, they had lots of tassels. You see how many are on there? So I, I think that this trend doesn't just show up in America. I think it shows up in lots of different places. When we're in crisis, we call out to something. We, 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 we know that there might be something greater out there. Most of the people who put that on there would call themselves agnostic or atheist. They don't even have a belief, but there was something in them that said, hey, I'm near this temple. Maybe if I put this little ribbon on this thing, maybe I'll get some kind of blessing. I think that's the essence of that same kid in the sitcom. Like, I don't know what to do. God, if you're real, like, can I find you? Are you there? Are you listening? And when a person feels like they're no, they have no hope, they've lost control, they really want something or they're hurting, they call out to God in prayer. And I don't want to recognize that this is something, I want to recognize that this is not necessarily bad. The fact that people are crawling out to God in crisis shows that even people who most of their time deny their need for God know that there must be something greater out there. They're desperate and know they cannot control everything, that the world is broken and filled with evil and hardship, and they're crying out, hoping for an answer. And for us, who are people who are followers of Jesus and who know we're saved by Jesus, 
let's be ready to share the hope that we have. Peter tells us, always be prepared to share the hope that you have. And let, let's be those people. So as the world is hurting and crying out, let's not say, hey, they didn't follow God here. Let's, let's use that as an opportunity to love them. But there's one other um, way I noticed that people in our culture talk about prayer or engage with prayer. When they hear of a need or a tragedy, they'll throw out pr phrases like prayers or thoughts and prayers or even sending prayers and positive vibes your way. Y'all heard that one? I didn't even know that was a thing. And about 10 years ago, I started noticing it. And I think these have especially been prevalent with the rise of social media. Now, at the present time, people are connected with so many people that you've met in the past or in your present. And if, if you, let's just say you have 500 people that somehow are on social media, at least 20 to 30 of those people are gonna be in some kind of crisis at the moment or have a family member in some kind of crisis. So you're aware of all these things. Um, and, and then you add all the information we have, all the websites, all the videos. You can watch videos of all the tragedies around the world just by looking at the CNN YouTube channel. So we have all this access, so we see all this stuff. And it's no wonder that almost everyone from people with a strong faith who would call, to those who would call themselves not very religious, constantly feel the need to do something. So throwing out thoughts and prayers or the prayer emoji, I thought this was interesting. So when, when they, these are the four different ones. The Google one kind of looks like Jabba the Hutt. I don't, I don't really know. The Microsoft guy is a little more Buddhist. The Apple and the Twitter one kind of have that holy uh, angelic like aura to them. But so I, I'm not saying that these things are bad. Um, when, you, when you hear so much information and there's so many people suffering, you got to do something. So the heart behind why a lot of people say thoughts and prayers, even those who are not necessarily religious, is because they want to do something. But that just shows that there's something inside of us that, that feels like there's got to be more. There, God, can you help us in this? Um, and I'm not saying you can't reply I'm not, with the post praying. Actually, a couple days ago, someone sent me a text and all I wrote was praying because I didn't have time to say anything else. Um, and I really did stop and pray. But one thing I would say is us as Christians, just if you're going to say praying, stop and pray. And then sometimes, if you have time, write a more detailed response. Maybe don't do it on the actual post. Write them a, a separate email. Maybe that's a way that could, to separate us as Christians. Because there's been a backlash against this thoughts and prayers movement. I saw these memes online. Uh, so this is the most famous one. <laughs> you know, sending thoughts and prayers, they're all better. And this is very sarcastic, and it was probably written by someone who doesn't believe in prayer. The next one's a little more mean. Uh, you know, do something, do something, do something, thoughts and prayer. And, and this is kind of, in a sense, this person who made this thinks that really prayer doesn't do anything. Uh, I didn't put a lot of them. There's way more mean than this. This is, this is a little gentler than some of the other ones. What's the next one? Uh, this person thought, bring your thoughts and prayers here. Like, instead of praying, go to the voting booth. Um, and then my favorite one, I just want to end on something light. See if you can get this. Sending tots and pears. So I just want to end it on light. I, that was my favorite one I saw. So, all right. So one way to sum things up is this. There's a lot of pain. There's evil. There's brokenness and there's hurting in the world. 
And most people want to do something. People want things to be better. They'll take some sort of action. But many things seem so out of control, and the only thing they can do is pray, hoping that there is a God that can make things better. And many of these people, especially when they're in crisis or feel hopeless, will look to Christians, hoping that we have some access to God that can help them out. I I have people who basically never ask me about my Christian faith ever until a crisis hits. And then they really, that's, I have a few friends, the only time they've genuinely asked me about my faith is when a crisis hit. So I want us to think about us, the church, the followers of Jesus, the people who not only believe that prayer works, but that the God of the universe hears our prayers and answers our prayers. When it comes to prayer, and especially in the light of this present reality in our culture that I just mentioned, I believe the best place for us to start as followers of Jesus is in Matthew 6. And that's why I had the whole passage read this morning. I whet your appetite. Man, that passage has so much theology. You probably, probably have more questions than answers just by hearing it. But that's the words of our Lord, and we need to know what he taught us. So I want us to start with Matthew 6. And this is, like I said earlier, this is the same place I point seekers who are exploring the Christian faith. When God became a human and dwelled among us, what did he say about prayer? So for this morning, I can't give a complete biblical summary of prayer. There are many aspects and dimensions, dimensions to prayer mentioned throughout the Bible. And fortunately, over the next few months, as we study the Psalms, we're going to look at many of these. In the Psalms, we're going to see themes like praise, petition, adoration, lament, thanksgiving, and confession. So as we look at Matthew 6 this morning, we're, I'm going to say this is the key teaching of Jesus on prayer. There's a parallel account in Luke chapter 11 that you could put the two together to kind of get the, the broader view. But we're going to look, hone in on this Matthew 6. And I want to focus on two words. Because it's overwhelming, I just want to leave you with two words. Purpose and posture. So what is the purpose of prayer? And what is the posture that we enter into prayer and the posture that prayer brings? One, the purpose of prayer. To help us understand the purpose of prayer, we need to look at what Jesus proclaims before and after the the actual prayer he teaches us to pray. So the Lord's Prayer, as it's commonly referred to as, is in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 14. But he says a lot of stuff before and after it that link it together and kind of give us better insight onto what he means in the prayer. That's why I had all of Matthew 6 read today. Just before the prayer, Jesus says this, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. And when He says, do not be like them, Jesus is addressing, in in the, the, the Jewish people had three things that they would do that showed their allegiance to God. Kind of three main rituals. They had multiple rituals, but they had, one was giving to the poor, one was fasting, and one was praying. So he's kind of addressing these, but he's, he, so a lot of that earlier context is him addressing their misunderstanding of how, what God means when he says to give to the poor, what he means when he says to fast, and what he means when he says to pray. But at the end of that little, of the statement where Jesus is correcting some of their misunderstandings, he says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So if the father already knows what we need, why pray? Is God asking us to beg? Or is prayer a way to earn God's favor? 
wouldn't that be contrary to the gospel? Jesus himself came and he says, I saved you not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So we don't have to pray to earn God's favor. So why do we pray? I believe the answer, the purpose of prayer, lies in the placement of Jesus' teaching, teaching his followers how to pray in the middle of the, of the discourse referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5-7. through New Testament scholar David Turner sums up the Sermon on the Mount like this, and I'll post this again on the city so you can read it again. It says, The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' authoritative teaching about the way believers should live today. Those who repented when they heard the gospel preached by John the Baptist and Jesus in Matthew's chapters 3 and 4 needed to know how to live under God's saving rule, this kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about. As Jewish Christians, they especially needed to know how Jesus' teachings related to the Old Testament and that their righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, that they need to put physical needs and material possessions into proper perspectives. Spiritual discernment and prayer were priority matters. In case anyone was listening carelessly without a desire for obedience, they were warned to enter through the narrow gate, to avoid fruitless trees, and to build on the rock. All this they would realize, in all this, they would realize that full obedience to these high standards would be attained at the future coming of the kingdom. We can't do this on our own. We do this because of what Jesus has done. So when Jesus gives this to us, he's saying like, I've inaugurated this kingdom and I'm teaching you how to be a part of this kingdom. And one day it'll be completely fulfilled. One day it'll be done on heaven as it is on earth, like we prayed in the Lord's Prayer. This future kingdom is coming, but right now, here's how you can live and trust him in that. So Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom and the purpose of prayer is to align us with this kingdom. So that our language, our hearts, our minds, our souls, which is a, a prayer from the Old Testament, you know, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. Jesus is saying, how do you put that into action? How do you make your heart, mind, and soul line up with Jesus in his kingdom? Prayer. And he's teaching us how to do that through prayer. This is the gospel. This is the good news we proclaim. Jesus is here. He is our Savior, He's our Lord, He's our King. He is everything we need. But His kingdom and parts of His kingdom are easy to miss or forget. And the, term, the Sermon on the Mount is telling us, don't miss it. Jesus uses, or God uses prayer in our lives, individually and corporately, to align our hearts and all of our beings with Jesus. Let's look at what Jesus teaches after the prayer. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes on to say, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, praying is us dealing with these things. All of us have something we're worried about. Even when things are going well, 
there's always something for us to worry about. And he's reordering our thinking, but prayer is us going to God saying, I'm not in control. I, got, I have to trust you. That's why the prayer is mixed in between. Um, this, is, this comes after the prayer because he says he teaches us how to pray and he says, remember, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And that word righteousness is the same word of the three things, the three righteous acts that people thought you could do to earn God's favor, like giving to the poor, praying and fasting. And he's saying, you still give to the poor, you still pray, you still fast, but you seek first God and his kingdom, and then he'll align these other things. Right before the prayer, Jesus says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray, standing in the synagogues, on the street corner, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will, will reward you. Just before this, Jesus says, let your light shine before men. So Jesus doesn't want us to do everything in secret. He wants our good works to be, to be shown so people want to follow Jesus. So here, you've got to look at this in the context. Jesus isn't saying we do everything in secret. What he's saying is when we pray, when we come to God, you don't do that to earn the favor of other people. You do that to focus in and to say, my priority is God. My priority is not myself. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans do because they think they'll be heard. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. All of these commands of Jesus, what he says before the prayer, what he says after the prayer, are either physical actions or actions of the heart, showing us that we need to lean not on our own understanding. That's from Proverbs 3. But we need to fully trust God and do everything for His kingdom and His glory, and then He will properly give us everything we need in His perfect timing by His perfect provision. So think about this. When you go to college, when you sign up, you trust the university. You do everything they say to get that piece of paper, right? Some of you are like, I wish I didn't have, some of you are in the middle of that. You work like a dog, you stay up late, you do a lot to get that piece of paper. You trust the process, and you know when, that, you're, when you get that piece of paper, it'll be everything you need to get the career, to get the, if you wanna be a doctor, you need that piece of paper. We should trust God so much more than that. We can fully, if we can trust in a system, if we can trust in all these systems of the world, so, you know, because we, we know that at the end we're going to get the result that they promised. If we do these things, can we trust God? Can we trust that if we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, He'll provide the money we need. He'll, he'll provide the things we need. He will take care of us. It'll be in His timing. It'll be to build His kingdom. It won't be so I can be more greedy. It'll be so that I can be less greedy, so I can give more. If God gives me more money, hopefully he's, he's going to reorder my heart so if I get more money or if I get a better car, I can do more with that money. Not so I can keep it for myself and get more and more. So he's going to align our hearts and give us what we need, not so that we can get more, because he knows that will ultimately destroy us. That's not what we need, so that we can build his kingdom and we can love him and love others. And that's where we find fulfillment fulfillment. That's where we find happiness. So I would sum up the purpose of prayer as God's provision for us to have direct communication with Him so that we can align ourselves with His good and perfect will.
And in this relationship, he will properly give us everything we need in his perfect timing by his generous provision. Remember in the garden, Adam and Eve, before the fall? They didn't have this type of prayer. They didn't need it because they had a direct relationship with God. And he provided all their needs. Through Jesus, prayer brings us back to that right relationship with the Father. There's much more we could glean about prayer from looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And I actually challenge all of you to study the Sermon on the Mount, to know it well, to feed on the rich teachings of Jesus. But before we move on to the posture of prayer, so we've been talking about the purpose of prayer, I want to look at a few quotes from a few great pastors in church history about prayer. And all of these men made a lot of mistakes in their lives. They loved God. They weren't perfect. But Martin Luther believed that Christians should recite and meditate on the Lord's Prayer all the time. He even wrote a shorter catechism and a longer catechism to train his people how to do this. He thought it was vital for us as believers. I remember the first time I was, I was at a yard sale and I saw Luther's small catechism, a little book. I didn't grow up Lutheran, so I didn't know what it was. So I'd pick it up and I thought it was cool. And I was like, oh, I thought Luther was the guy about grace. And this thing just has a bunch of lists of things to tell me to, what to do. But as I read it, I was like, this is grace. This is pointing me to Jesus. Luther isn't, he's saying like, if you, if you do these things, your life will be so much more rich. This is grace. It's not law to, to, to recite the words of Jesus. It, it gives us the reward. It's not, I don't know. So I just, let's read what Luther said in, the preference, in his preface to the Lord's Prayer. For this we must know, that all our shelter and protection rests in prayer alone. For we are far too feeble to cope with the devil and all his power and adherents that set themselves up against us, and they might easily crush us under their feet. Therefore, we must consider and take up those weapons with which Christians must be armed in order to stand against the devil. For whenever a godly Christian prays, Dear Father, let thy will be done, God speaks from on high and says, Yes, dear child, so it be so, in spite of the devil and all the world. John Wesley said, Prayer may be said to be the breath of our spiritual life, like one who lives cannot possibly cease breathing. If, if you're a human, you breathe. If you're a Christian, you pray. Here's a quote from the great English preacher. I know a lot of you love this guy. Charles Spurgeon. Actually, I asked my wife Erica to give me her favorite quote on prayer, and she gave me this awesome proclamation by Spurgeon. So, but I can't read it today because it's a super long paragraph filled with lots of run-on sentences because how else can you describe prayer? So I'm going to post it online. So you have to go. We have a city, a website called The City where we post the sermons and you can comment. So if you're not on that, this is a plug to get on it. So you can read this awesome quote by Charles Spurgeon. John Calvin says this, we need prayer because this is how God's benefits reach us. We need prayer because this is how God's benefits reach us. Wait, isn't Calvin the sovereignty of God guy? You know, like, why do we need to pray if God's in control? And uh, I read a commentary on this, and this guy scoured Calvin's writings. And he said, to sum it up, Calvin says this because God commands us to pray Jesus himself prays. He inaugurates his kingdom by praying. He enters the cross by praying. And then prayer is the way God works. 
And if it's good enough for Jesus, Calvin's like, it's good enough for me. Um, we need prayer because this is how God's benefits reach us. God set this up. This is the way he does it. We need prayer. At Waypoint, our pastor, Pastor Lawrence, some of you, we could play Pastor Bingo. Every time he says a certain thing, you could, uh, you, we might make bingo sheets as a joke. He, he says a lot of the same things. He brings up Doritos, but he says this quote, At Waypoint, we believe that prayer is God's appointed mean, means of enacting his will. And this is a comprehensive statement, similar to kind of what Calvin alluded to, summarizing the whole biblical teaching on prayer. We pray because God works through prayer. So now what I want us to do is, is, is look at the Lord's Prayer and the posture of this prayer and see how it works individually and corporately. So, and by posture, I literally mean like physical posture. I, my main mentor in seminary was a, a Korean uh, New Testament scholar. And he said when he first came to the U.S., he went to Yale to get his Ph.D. in New Testament and he said he went to an intervarsity meeting, and it was in a small room on the, in the dorm at Yale. And he said that he didn't think any, they started to pray, and he's like, I didn't think any of those Americans were Christians. And he's telling the class, he's like, because when they prayed, they all kind of just slouched on the couch. And in Korea, when you pray, especially in the 70s, your posture was very firm because you were standing before God. So he's like, it took me a while to realize that they really were Christians because... They didn't pray like I did. And, I, and I, when I think about posture, I want us to think about it in two lights. One is the posture we enter into prayer. And then as we enter into the throne of God, the posture that we come out with. Almost like we enter like this, and then we come out with like bags of gold. You know, like, I want you to vi envision that. Now, not, not gold that buys the stuff we want, but gold that buys the stuff we need to build God's kingdom. So I want you to think about, and it's okay to think about it as far as like physical posture. So what are some of the postures that prayer brings? So we come in with adoration and reverence. We come in with total dependence, that his provision is perfect. We get protection and, and we learn patience. Um, so I want to take a short little side, Pastor Lawrence asked me, he said, let's hit on fasting, because last week he preached on community, and I mean, um, he, and we looked at, at one of our plumb lines, and we looked at Acts chapter 13, and we looked at when they sent Paul and Barnabas, but something pierced me when I read this, because I was like, I'm preaching on fasting, I mean on prayer this week. Look what it says. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So I don't think it's enough for us as a church to just be a church that prays. There's something about fasting that we need to bring more into our daily routine. And, and fasting is very complicated. Some of you have health issues where you can't fast. Maybe you might need to do a media fast because you can't do a food fast. Or there's, there's a lot of different facets to fasting. Um, it kind of sounded weird, facets to fasting, but you know what I mean. So I, I, can't, I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but I do want us to think about two things. One, fasting teaches us to remember we always need God all the time. Have, how many of you have ever done a significant fast? I was a youth pastor, and 
we did the 30-hour famine. So we took a bunch of youth, took a bunch of youth, American kids who grew up in the suburbs, and told them they can't eat food for 30 hours. And then we had a lock-in at the church. The nice thing is, if you're ever a youth pastor and you want to have a lock-in, have this lock-in, because the kids are so worn out that they really go to sleep. It's the only lock-in I've ever... The other kind of lock-ins are like purgatory for Protestants, I think. It's, it's like purging us and preparing us for, for, for God's kingdom. But this lock-in, the kids are so worn out, they want food so badly that... And, and actually, I, my church, my youth group had like 150 kids and like 100 of them did it because it was a precedent. Like the people who did it before I got there, everyone did this. And as you're... But we did it together. But as you're hungry... Every, like, every five minutes, you feel it. I mean, especially the first two or three days. They say if you go longer, your body starts getting used to it. But if you fast for only one or two days, every five minutes, you're going to be hungry. You're going to realize your need for food. Every five minutes, we should realize our need for God. So one thing that fasting does is we're disciplining our body so we remember how much we really need God. So, I mean, there's, so, there's amazing, I'll, po I'll post a few good articles on the city about fasting. Um, so we're going to, Pastor Lawrence wants to add a few corporate fasts, like opportunities for us as a church to fast and pray together, especially as we're, we're asking God for big things, as we love the triangle and we love the world and we want to reach the triangle and reach the world. We're asking God for, for big things. So like the church in Antioch, we need to bring fasting into this. The second thing that's amazing that I believe it teaches us as modern Americans who never struggle with food. Like throughout world history, almost every culture had some famine. If you lived to be 70 years old, no matter where you lived in the world, at some point there was a time where you didn't have enough food, unless you were like the king. So we never know what it's like to be without food. So for us, not only does fasting do the spiritual discipline I believe that Jesus is directly addressing, but for me, it made me feel like, wow, this is what a lot of people in the world go through a lot of the time. And, and it, it just changed my attitude. And it, it, and it really did make me want to work toward fighting for water, clean water, and food all over the world. So let's, we're going to bring that back in. I won't talk anymore about fasting. Now we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer real quickly. Jesus says, then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. So to a Jew, they could call God their father because in Exodus uh, 4.22, God says, Israel is my firstborn. So they, they were allowed to call God their father, but no way ever were they allowed to think of God as like an intimate daddy. And Jesus says, starts the prayer with an intimate term, daddy. He doesn't start it off with, I'm so great. He could. God should. It should be, hallowed be your name, our Father. Because that's the order that things should be. But he starts it, we can approach him like a child approaches the Father. Tim Keller says, a, a, a young child is the only person who has 24 access to a father. If you work for your boss and you're feeling worried in the middle of the night, you have a nightmare, do you call your boss? Hey boss, I'm scared. You know? Even... Uh, Tick Keller makes a joke. Even if his wife says, hey, get me a glass of water at three in the morning, he might be like, get your own glass of water. But if his little girl walks in the bed, there's only one person who has 24 access to this father, a good father, is, is the little children. 
and we're like little children. So let's thank God in His grace that He starts the prayer off, Our Father, and He uses a term like Daddy, like a, a term. Jesus is bringing this term in, and He's just saying it's okay to approach Him like a little child approaches their father. Hallowed be your name. He is to be revered because He's the creator of the universe. He is the God of everything. Your kingdom come. And this is every week at Waypoint, we pray a congregational prayer. And what we're praying is for his kingdom to come. We're praying for things in the triangle. We're praying for things around the world. We're saying, God, things aren't right. And we're trusting you to use us through prayer and through action with those prayers that your kingdom would come now on earth because we're anticipating this day when you will fully consummate your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is why we do these prayers. Give us today our daily bread. So you see at the beginning it's focused on God and then it moves to us. It doesn't say give us everything we need for all times. It says give us our daily bread. Um, this is an allusion to um, the Exodus when they come out and the manna, they can only collect enough for one day. They're not allowed to hoard it because God wants to show them to trust Him each day. God wants us to trust Him with each day. He doesn't want us to hoard and because he, He's providing for us and He wants us to love others. This is the way He set it up. So He says, trust Him with each day. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgiven people. We're forgiven people and we're gracious people who remember that we've been forgiven, we've been set free, we've been saved by Jesus so we can offer that forgiveness to others. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation. We're people who, because of our relationship with God, because we know we're saved and we're set free, we can stand firm when trials and hardship comes. And we can stand with others in that. And, and, but deliver us from the evil one. God, God is with us in these trials. Remember, this is the prayer that Jesus prays before he suffers and dies. He literally says to the Father, you know, not my will, but your will. It's a, it's a reference to this. Jesus himself offers himself and prays, like surrenders himself to the Father to save us, to save you, to save me. We can use this as a pattern in our prayer. I'm going to put some other stuff up. There's, the Heidelberg Catechism has an awesome way to think through the Lord's Prayer. There's just some amazing resources out there of helping us think through this, to pray through this. We need to be people who, who live this out and remember this, that we need this pattern and we need to approach the throne. So now we've seen the purpose and the posture. So you, you, the purpose is you, you know that God is good and you trust Him. And the posture is you, you enter in like a child enters into their father's room and you just say, Daddy, I need you. But I'm revering you as the, as the creator of the universe, as God himself who, said, who saved me and loved me. I want your kingdom to come. I want your daily provision. I need forgiveness. I need to confess. I need to have a gracious attitude toward others. And, I'm, I, and thank you that you give me what I need to stand firm. So... I'm just giving you a very broad overview of the prayer. Let's look at four action points. One, keep aligning yourself with the truth of the gospel that saves you and sustains you. We have this loving, approachable Father, and He, he gives us His truth. So when we, prayer is an overflow because we're aligning ourselves up with Him, 
and we want to communicate with him and we need to talk to him. Like anybody, have you ever done a PhD work or some work? Or you, when, you, when, you, when you don't know what to do, you keep going back to your supervisor. When you start a brand new job, you got lots of questions. We have lots of questions. God is ready and willing to answer us. His office hours are like 24 seven. I remember when I was in seminary, like the three most popular professors, like their office hours, and as soon as they put them up, everyone would fill them out because they wanted to go talk to them. And, but God's office hours are always open. God's door is always open. We need to align ourselves with his truth. And we meet him by studying his word, by coming to worship. Second thing, practice the posture of prayer. Make this a part of who you are. Adoration, reverence, total dependence, trusting his provision, petition, trusting his protection, trusting his guidance, and being patient. When I was right out of college, jobs were flowing. And uh, all my friends got high-paying jobs. And it was, it was, I, I probably graduated the peak year in American history. And even ministry jobs. Like, if there were more ministry jobs probably than candidates. And I remember I, I came back. We got married. And I thought I had one job. It didn't work out. And I prayed. And God miraculously gave me a job. Like, I... I drove by a building and I said, God, that's the kind of church where I might want to work at. I'd never been on that road before. We'd, I just got married, just moved to this city. And the Holy Spirit said, go in there. You're going to be their youth pastor. I'm not a very charismatic person. This has never happened to me before. I walk in and this isn't a charismatic church at all. They're like actually anti-charismatic in some ways. I go in and I say, hey, I was just driving by praying. Um, are y'all looking for a youth pastor? They're like, yeah, did you see the ad and the whatever? And, I was, and they're like, we just had our prayer meeting last night because we've been six months and we've been kind of asking God for the right person. And, and I was like, no, I didn't see the ad. I was just walking by, Holy Spirit, you know, the whole thing. And, and they did interview me. They called all my preferences and stuff and I got the job and God used it in amazing ways. It was a church that I probably wouldn't have like attended if I didn't, if this didn't happen. I, I just, it wouldn't have even been on my radar. Then later on in my life, I had the better resume. I was more qualified, but the job market was really, really tough. And to be honest, I waited about seven years of economic hardship, questioning God, questioning my call, questioning everything. Seven years before I what I kind of prayed got answered. So one was that afternoon, I heard that I got rejected from one, not rejected, but just some circumstances. I missed one job and I got another job. Did I get it because I prayed or did I get it because the economy was good back in 1999? I don't know, you know, or 2000, whenever I got that first job. Did I get this job because I prayed? I, 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 I got it because God is in control and he loves me and he called me to just seek his kingdom and his righteousness. The seven years were hard extremely hard on my wife and I. Um, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. All I know is to be persistent in prayer. Actually, the Luke account of the Lord's Prayer is about persistence in prayer. I, I challenge you to check that out. So let's practice this posture. Let's make prayer and fa And then the third thing, make prayer and fasting a plan. A pl make a prayer and fasting plan for yourself. All of you need that. We need that. I want all of you to go home and say, what do I need to do to incorporate prayer into my life? And then the last thing is pray. 
here at Waypoint, we're four years old and God has blessed us tremendously. And I believe part, the, the main reason is because we keep praying. Now, he could have waited. We could have had to wait to get a building or wait to get other things. But we're grateful for his provision and we're going to keep praying. So let's pray individually, but let's also pray corporately. Let's pray for the triangle. Let's pray for North Carolina. Let's pray for the world, a broken world that needs the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to call the band up and I'm going to read Paul's summary of Jesus' teaching on prayer. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, I don't know what each person here is going through right now, but I know all of us desperately need you. But I thank you that we can come to you like a young child comes to his or her father, and we can approach you. And God, I pray for each person in here that you would work in their heart and that prayer would become just like breathing, like eating. It become us continually communing with you. I pray that each person in here, would, as, they, as we, normally most of us are starting a new school year, we're thinking about starting things fresh. We would think about what it would mean to deepen our relationship with you in prayer as individuals. And I pray as Waypoint we would continue to be a people of prayer. Be with our pastors and elders and be with our prayer team as they guide us in this. We trust all these things to you. In your name we pray. Amen. And I do want to offer, as the band plays, we're going to sing three songs. And if you need prayer, there's going to be people from our, some elders, pastors, and people from our prayer team throughout the room. Do you need prayer for health issues? Do you need prayer for encouragement? Are you worried? Are you scared? Is, is, is life just more than you can handle? Money issues? Do you need to know God? Do you want to know more about Jesus? The people will be throughout the room. Just come find someone during any of the songs and pray with us. Let's praise God in singing.